listening to First Church Charlotte. Let's get into the Word of the Lord. I love teaching the Word of the Lord. I say this every Wednesday night. I say it most every Sundays. It is absolutely the truth. It is the honor of any of our lives to open the Word of the Lord and try to learn from it. Can I have some agreement in the house? Uh, I will be mindful of your time. Uh, Megan, at 8.28, come up and start playing softly to encourage everybody, all right? You see how I did that? That's called delegation. I now can forget about the clock, and when she comes up, I can ignore her. I mean, I've been doing that. I'm good at that, too. So here's the reality. You don't get to stay on the mountaintop. I know it broke your heart. You don't get to stay on the mountaintop. Yet you need the mountaintop. But we do not stay on the mountaintop. The Lord had called, uh, called away three inner disciples, uh, maybe four. Uh, we know of three, but oftentimes in the scripture, Andrew was included. And he. it's just interesting how that works. Some scholars say it's always the three. Some scholars say Andrew was often included. In this case, I tend to think it was the three. They are named. They're, they're called away to the mountaintop. They see the transfiguration. That is fabulous. I love love when my eyes are opened. I love when I perceive what what is uh, often hidden below the surface, and I, I'm able to see what God is doing. Uh, my life would be ever so much easier if I could always see what God was doing, and yours would too. I would have far less struggles with, uh, how shall we say this, let's just be basic and call it trust. If I knew what was going on, and yet the Lord often chooses to do a work and not inform me. How dare he? Who does he think he is? He chooses to do things and not send me a memo. He chooses to anoint without getting my permission. And yet sometimes the Lord will open our understanding and we will be included in that secret brotherhood slash sisterhood of those who know. You see what God is doing. It is my experience, maybe it's because I'm not as spiritual as you guys are, uh, but it's my experience I tend to see much better in review than I see in the moment. Uh, as I often say, we live life forward, we understand it backwards. Um, I look back and I can see what God was doing in my 20s. I thought I was just being beat up, but I can see what God was doing. I look back in my 30s and I, I, just, I just seemed a little bit kind of, uh, you know, I, I didn't get it, but, but, but I see better now what God was doing. So it is with all of our life. And yet in this moment, these three are taken inside to the group of the people who know and they see and they are introduced to a mountaintop experience. So let me, let me say it again. We all of us need the mountain, but we do not get to stay there. Let me read a quote from one author. Uh, You cannot stay on the summit forever. You have to come down again. So why bother in the first place? Just this, what is above knows what is below, but what is below does not know what is above. One climbs, one sees, one descends, one sees no longer, but one has seen. There is an art of conducting oneself in the lower regions by the memory of what one saw higher up. Somebody say that's good stuff. When one can no longer see, one 
at least can still know. You need the mountaintop, but you don't get to stay there. Um, on the mountaintop, we are overwhelmed with who God is and our inclusion in that work. But I want to point out something to you. God himself did not stay on the mountaintop. But he descended to this messy world. And he was made in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, the manner of a man. And he shed his blood among the pain, the suffering, the loss, the sin. Our work is not on the mountaintop. Our work is in the valley. This is what we must understand. And so, although they see, they don't get to stay. And when Peter says, let's build here three temples, abodes, sacred abodes, let's build here three sacred abodes, he is rebuked and he's sent back down the mountain. Why? We don't get to stay there. I pray all of us pursue the mountaintop in our experience, but you should not believe your ministry's on the mountaintop. Your ministry's in the mess. If we could learn that, it would revolutionize most of our Christian efforts of ministry. You were built for the work. You are occasionally taken up to the revelation. We are given insight there that we're going to need down in the mess. But our work is in the mess. And so they come back down the mountain. The disciples are like, whoa, I don't know what to do with that. They're questioning it. They come down into a crowd. There is a problem here in the crowd. There is confusion. There is even argument. There was a need. The need is this. There is a young boy who seems what, he has what seems to be a seizure, a seizure disorder, not, not uh, uncommon even today. And it's easy to read this with the eyes of the skeptic and say, obviously he has a seizure disorder. It's not a demon. And uh, uh, this is what I know. The enemy, Satan, is in the business of taking whatever is wrong with you and leveraging it for his purposes. Let's say you have a tendency to drink too much. The devil's not satisfied for you to drink too much. He wants to destroy your family through alcoholism. Let's say you have a bit of an addictive personality. He's not satisfied for you to have an addictive personality. He wants to destroy your family, your future, generations to come through your drug addiction, do you see? Whatever error you have, he's in the business of making it worse. You can be, you can have the flu and he'll be in the business of using the flu against you. Do you see? Okay, so what if? So what? Who cares? What was the element? The point is uh, there is a demonic oppression that is coming along with that element in some way. And the Lord is not just going to deal with the demonic oppression. He is going to heal. He still does that. So here's the problem. They're brought to the disciples. Now, it's, uh, if you have time to do in-depth Bible study, and I pray all of you make that time, it'll change your life. One thing, if you really want to try to understand Scripture, read the story and put yourself in the eyes of different participants in the story. So, you can read the story and imagine what it would be like to be Peter, James, and John up there saying, my God, my, ooh, we're powerful. That's one way to see it. Another way is to read the story and imagine you're one of the disciples who wasn't in the cool club. And you were left down to deal with the real world, world problems. It reads differently, doesn't it? Well, I guess I wasn't, you know, spiritual enough to be included on the men's outing. I guess I'll just stay here and mow the church property because someone has to care about the real needs of the church. You see, the story reads differently if you put yourself in that group. 
Put yourself in the person who prays fervently. You put yourself out there. You took a chance. You agreed to stand in the stead of Jesus. See, see what's happening. You agreed to stand in the stead of Jesus. The father did not bring him to you. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus wasn't there. You put yourself out there. You took a chance. You thought it was faith and you (laughs) wipe out. Put yourself there. Uh, If you have ever done that and you were the guy who wiped out, trust me, it is no fun. Okay? The story reads differently, right? So every one of these contexts gives you a depth. And we could spend eight weeks in this story going from different person because there's lessons in every person. But what I want you to see is a few things. First of all, they're meaning these, the disciples who weren't left, it would be easy for them to feel excluded. You serve God in any group, whether you're at a ministry level, a leadership level, uh, a strong core member, uh, a fringe kind of, uh, you enjoy it, but you're too busy to get involved in a lot of the ministries. Whatever you do, there will be times where you feel included. There will be times you feel excluded. There will be times where you feel like you were honored and in, uh, placed at the, the key moments where you would like to have been. And there'll be times where you will, you feel, you feel like you're left down in the valley to take care of the mess and fight with the scribes. This is what I want you to know. The Lord is in all of it. That's hard for us to believe, but that is the honest gospel truth. The Lord is in all of it. The Lord is taking people to the mountaintop, and he's also asking for people to work in the valley. And so here you have the whole thing, and you're left down here. You put yourself out there. You fail miserably. There's an obvious need here, and religious people just want to fight. Seriously, that's in the story. Here's a man with a need. Why, why won't the scribes say, well, look, I don't really know if we believe like you do, but there's a need here. We're going to pray with you. What's wrong with that? That's not hard. Let me tell you, when I was the one in the hospital, uh, anybody come by, you could be a, a Unitarian and come by and say, can I pray? I'm like, my God, my forehead's right there. I want to hear some popping jaws and I want you spitting up on me. Real preacher style. I don't hear no quiet Unitarian. You pray, but if that's all you got, I'll take it. I had, uh, uh, we had uh, 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 Jewish rabbis come by. Would you like to pray? Come on in. The line starts right here. What, what's wrong with that? What, what's wrong with that? We, we don't know. There's a need here. We'll help you pray. They want to fight. They would rather fight than see the need. And this is a temptation. This is a temptation for people who, they, that there's things they care very deeply about and they care about it so much they forget the mission. Thank God that we're not going to be people like that. Where we have a disagreement with somebody, I say I disagree with Adam. I'm picking on you tonight, Adam, okay? I have a disagreement with Adam and there's needs here. There's people who need prayer here. But him and I aren't seeing the people who need prayer. Him and I aren't in the prayer room saying God break through the barriers in their life. There might be someone here going through something they've hid, but the Spirit knows. They're not hid from the Spirit. And if him and I were tuned in, we would be feeling and pushing the service in a spiritual manner. That's what spiritual people do. Spiritual people, church is not an observing sport. Church, where's, where? come on, you, you strong believers, where's your intensity when there's something's happening in the Spirit? You don't have to fall out and make a scene, but what you can, you can bring your intensity to the moment. Oh God, I believe you're going to do something in this service tonight. I know we're just singing amazing grace right now, but God, I believe this grace is amazing and it's in this house right now. Oh, hallelujah. What's the next song we want to sing? It's all in him. Praise God, I'm believing we're going to see a break. What am I doing? I'm bringing my intensity to the service. 
Okay, see, but him and I would rather fight than see the needs in the service. This is a religious problem because there's things we care about. He doesn't think I should wear jeans on the platform. I don't think he should wear scarves when the heater's on. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? We both of us, we have things we care about. He's like, look, you're old. You have dad wear on. I'm good looking and cool. And I'm like, I don't care. You're broke and I have money. You see how this just goes on and on. In the meantime, while him and I are fighting over things we care about, say it's okay to care about things. Say it with me. It's okay to care about things. If I am forgetting about a man who brought his boy with a demon in tears, and I'm fighting on what, over what should, we should wear, I am part of the problem. So Jesus shows up. I'm off my notes. Forget my notes. So Jesus shows up. He shows up, and he, uh, he's like, well, what's going on here? The, pe- the people are super glad when Jesus shows up. Nothing is worse than to watch humanity try to do something spiritual. I'm not, you want to see some absurdities? Watch humanity try to do something spiritual. You need Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Some of us are trying to fix things in our life right now in the efforts of the flesh, and we wonder why it's a hot mess. I'm going to tell you why it's a hot mess. If you'd like to write it down, you can have it for free because Jesus is not the one working on it. Unless he builds the house, we labor in vain. Unless he breaks down the wall, we bang our head against the wall. Unless he heals the broken heart, we're left holding pieces of a broken heart. We need Jesus to show up in the middle of the mess so we can run to him and say, Rabbi! I guess I should pull my notes up. Let me get back to my notes. So, uh, anyway, let's think. Let's 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 think about this a little bit more. Uh, the man, after some hemming and hawing, gets his son before Jesus, and this is the cause of the problem. I brought my son who has a demon, and I brought him to your disciples, and they prayed, and they could not heal him. Uh, this this is. Uh, real world. Jesus says to them, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, I'm going to be real honest and as transparent as I can be without making you mad at me, okay? Um, Lord, I failed at everything at least twice to make sure I didn't like it the, the first time. I've prayed for people and nothing happened. I've been the faithless generation. Now, I thought I had faith. But what God thinks is faith is not always what I'm offering. And that distinction is something that's reserved to his judgment. And so, the disciples put themselves out there. They tried. They failed. Jesus does not blame the disciples directly. You can say he blames them indirectly. But look how broad he throws this net. He says, oh, faithless generation. Somebody say generation. You know, half of our problems are mindset problems. We inherited them from our generation. Half of our doubt struggles are generational struggles. It's not just you. Lots of 
lots of people are struggling with that. It's not just you or you or you or you. It is a generational. When we pray that the the spirit would break the the back of spiritual oppression, a lot of times we're talking about these self-imposed generational limits where we say God will do this and this, but God would not do this. And we don't know we're doing that, but we're doing that because we are so stuck in the worldview of our generation that we do not know we're in it. In other words, for all you thinking types, the fish doesn't know he's wet. The fish doesn't know he's wet. Why? This is just how, this, what do you mean I'm wet? That's the silliest thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm a fish. No, you're wet. No, I'm not wet. What is dry? You see. So, I don't think the Lord chops them so much as he broadens. There's a larger faith problem here that is not just sitting on 12 who are trying to break the back of this doubt. It's a generational problem. Oh, faithless generation. And so, Jesus, you guys know the story. Jesus is going to heal the boy. But something very interesting happens. um, And this is where uh, the man says... um, uh, explains that he has brought his son, and Jesus says this to him. Well, let me back up. The man asked or says that my son has had this from childhood. He's often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. This is spiritual oppression. This is not simply seizure. Do you see? Seize people in seizures do not throw themselves into the water. They do not throw themselves into the fire. That is spiritual oppression, perhaps exacerbating a real human condition. Even so, the Lord is going to heal the human condition and cleanse the demon from this place in this boy's heart. Uh, and so he explains this, and the man says to them, but if you can do anything. Have compassion on us and help us. Jesus says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Somebody say amen. Amen. All things are possible to him who believes. That is exciting. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But for a moment, just take that promise and hold it close to your heart and tell yourself that all things are possible to him who, or her, or she, who believes? And the man cries out. This shows his good heart. This vulnerable moment shows his good heart. There's no posturing here. There's no pretense. There's no exalting himself. This is him being vulnerable. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That is exactly how it feels right there. That's exactly how it feels right there. That is as honest as you will find anyone ever being. I believe, and yet I'm afraid there's some part of me that wants to question and worry, and yet I want so much to believe. It is as though there's this battle within me. Sounds like the Apostle Paul, doesn't it? I want to believe. I need you to help my unbelief. I I love the vulnerability in this story. I identify with this man when you need something so much for God and you wish someone would formulize it for you and tell you to stand on your right leg, wave your right arm and say hallelujah and then you would get it. But no one will ever do that for you. 
And if anybody ever does that for you, they're silly. Don't take them seriously. And yet, help my unbelief. I'll confess to you to this day when I am really, really facing the situation. I pray. I speak faith. I claim faith. And I pray against my unbelief. Someone says, well, you don't get it both way, brother. Decide what it is. That is exactly how it feels right there. I believe. Help my unbelief. You guys know the story. Jesus heals him. The Lord responds to the plea of the Father, and the healing takes place. And after this, there is a teaching moment. Isn't it interesting that Jesus does not really try to settle anything with the scribes at this moment? They wanted to argue. Uh, It seems that Jesus is very comfortable ignoring the debate and turning to the need. I pray we can have that. We can have that focus, that priority priority, where the debate is not the priority. It's the need that is the priority. It's the heart that is the priority. Uh, And so I I think that is the sign of a good church who can uh, have things they care about very much. And yet when the need is for them, uh, they, they have no need to make it about their disagreement. They very much will make it about the need of a hungry heart. And so there's a teaching moment after this where the disciples ask privately. Somebody say privately. Now, they've just dropped the ball. Uh, they've, they've messed things up. And they've, they've, they failed. Yeah, I hate it when that happens. And so they get away with Jesus and they ask him privately, why are we such losers? I'm not even kidding. I mean, they may not have said that, but that's exactly how it feels. That's exactly how it feels. How come... When Dewan preaches, everybody thinks it's awesome. And when I preach, everybody thinks it's awful. Why am I such a loser? Sucker, you ain't even close. Don't even start with me. I love you, dude. And Jesus answers them the famous saying that we all of us quote, and we love to even have fun with it, and we say, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. I want to say very quickly, it's not God who needs to change. It's not the devil who needs to change. It's you who needs to change. (laughs) Yeah, me too. And... Why prayer and fasting? Prayer and fasting does not change God. Prayer and fasting does not change the devil. But prayer and fasting will do a really good job of changing you. Here is the humbling reality. The humbling reality. We are often the limiter on what God does. Because he has ordained to work through humanity and not super, not circumvent or sidestep sovereignty. Now, sovereignty is the fact that God gave you a will to choose what you're going to do. He will not force you to serve him. He will not, this is the problem of evil, sovereignty. You get to create a world and then you get to live in it. You were made in the image of God. Sovereignty, do you see? And so, because he ha- will not sidestep his own so- the sovereignty that he has given to us. That's why he doesn't snap a finger and evil disappear. Why? Sovereignty. There's no love story without sovereignty. 
The gospel is the greatest love story in the history of the world. But there's no love story without sovereignty. You have to have the right to say no or it's not a love story. Okay? So here we admit that we can limit what God will do because he has limited himself to us. That if you're serious at all about being used of God, that, that realization right there should put you into a regular prayer discipline. If you're serious about being used of God, that realization right there should put you in a regular fasting, a regular Bible study, because I do not want to be the limiter of what God will do. I had a uh, water regulator on my house that went bad. It's a water pressure limiter, and it's to keep getting too much pressure from the city and blowing out the pipes in the house. And uh, it broke. The, the spring in it broke, and um, I won't explain it because it's boring. But anyway, it broke, and it, it, it shut down my, my water pressure for a long time. I used to sing in the shower, but I started cussing in the shower. <laughs> I, it's okay. My dad wasn't there to straighten me out. I figured no water pressure brings out the devil in me. Nothing to make you madder than a dribble, dribble, and you covered up with soap. It's like dribbling out like the... It's like somebody serving sugar-free on Thanksgiving. I mean, whatever. You talk about killing the spirit. Kill the spirit in a heartbeat. You're like lathered up from head to toe, clean as a whistle. Whistles aren't clean, as my kids point out. But you get the idea, and this water's dribbling, dribbling, dribbling. No singing in the shower. This went on for weeks. My cussing turned into backsliding. My wife told me I was going to have to resign the church if I didn't get prayed through. I had a plumb bad spirit. And I was like, no water pressure. I can't dribble under this mess. I got a lot of hide. It has to use a lot of water pressure to get this hide clean. Finally, after months of frustration, I figured out what had happened. I hired a plumber. We went out there and we just took the thing out because that's how we roll. And now there's a lot of singing going on in the shower at my house. (laughs) Can you imagine how frustrating it must be to the heavenly host to know what could happen and we're limiting the anointing of God? Lord, help us not to limit God. Help us not to be the limiter, Lord Jesus. Help us, help our unbelief. We believe, but help our unbelief, Lord Jesus. Somebody say, me too, Lord. Exactly. We don't want to be the limiter of what God's doing. So really quickly, because Meg's getting ready to come up and give me the evil eye. and It's going to go downhill from there. I want to, I want to show three things here. Um, it is easy to misconstrue the words of Jesus and make of them what we wish they meant rather than humble ourselves and let them mean what Jesus meant. So if you take these words of the Lord Jesus Christ where he said, if you believe all things are possible to him who believes and you stop with that saying, you now have the foundation of a... uh, a twisted gospel. Um, I, I, this, is, this is the story of all false doctrines where you selectively take a two or three favorite scriptures and you make that the theme of your ministry endeavor. You've taken a few scriptures and you have made that the theme of your ministry endeavor. And you, you know, with the rising of the sun and the going down of the same, you, you just, these the scriptures. And so if you take that scripture, it's all things are possible to him who believes. You can come up with a, I don't want to use the word false because I'm not trying to pick a fight. You can come up with a twisted gospel. 
Um, a gospel that is uh, suited to your wishes. The first error, and these have all happened in the church and are happening even here today. Not here today, but in our generation today. We're going to try to keep them from happening here today. We'll save them for tomorrow, okay? <laughs> the first one is, if you build on just this scripture, if you believe you will receive, you now have invented a gospel of health and wealth. Okay, and then therefore, if you get sick, you must be out of the will of God. Some of you grew up in uh, a religious context where, and I've talked to you, and I've heard your stories where if you got sick, it was because you weren't living right. Uh, thank God that we're not so theologically simple. Can I have an amen? Uh, that, 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 the, you can create a gospel of health and wealth. If you're not blessed, it's because you don't have a generous heart. Uh, you've created a gospel of health and wealth because after all, if you can believe, all things are possible. I mean, uh, we've got $400 million Powerball. If you can believe, all watch it over here. Don't make me come down off this pulpit. I'll have your husband straighten you out. Uh, you see what I'm saying? We've created a gospel of health and wealth. Plus, we've, we've selected the scriptures. We haven't asked ourselves what Jesus meant by them. We got in the business of telling Jesus what he should have meant by them. Okay? We've twisted it. We've created a gospel of health and wealth. Do I believe in a, 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 that the Lord wants to heal? I believe he does, but we're, we're all going to die. You don't need rocket science for that. I want to die in his plan and in his will. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Yes? Okay, but I, I, I believe God will bless his people. I've seen him bless you guys. I want to see more of his blessing upon you. The church can't be blessed if you're not blessed. That's the way God ordained the church. And so, uh, I, I, but we can't create a gospel of health and wealth. The second thing that you can do is take these scriptures to mean if you can conceive it, you can achieve it. This is a gospel of positive thinking. So the first of them, which is a gospel of health and wealth, you've created a gospel of what you want. Secondly, if you can believe that you can achieve it, you've created a gospel of what you wish. Neither one's right. What you have to do is you have to look in the scripture for the whole story, not just the part that you would particularly particularly like. And so it is that we see uh, scriptures uh, like all things are possible, but they must be within God's will. John talks about that in his first epistle, chapter number five. Um, it must be according to his his will. Jesus did not want to go to Calvary. He said, if there's any way possible, let this pass. But if there's no other way, I, I surrender, I submit, thy will be done. Do you see? Okay. Uh, Paul with his thorn in the flesh. I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and I'm sick of praying and God said no. Now I can suck my thumb about it. I can be angry about it. I can take it out on other people or I can grow up. I need this. It's hard to say. All things are possible, but they must be within God's will. Some things are not possible because they represent a error on our parts. And the Bible shows us these things. James in chapter number four talks about wanting things for selfish and sinful reasons. If you want something for selfish and sinful reasons, it's not on the menu. 
Now you can walk around and, you know, boom shakalaka all day long, but it's not on the menu. Why? You're asking admiss. You're asking amiss. Third, thirdly, um, not all things are possible when they're not in keeping with God's commandments. John talks about this in his epistle, chapter number three. You see, this business of ask and ye shall receive, it is a moment of communication from our Lord Jesus Christ to a man who is believing. And it is in the will of God for this man's son to be delivered for the glory of God. And this man needs to believe. The disciples have already believed and they have failed. The father, it's his turn to believe, and he believes, and he gloriously receives. And so I want us to see, I want us to see uh, in this moment a few things, and just to review some of them. Uh, The work is in the valley. We don't get to stay on the mountaintop, but we need the mountaintop. We should pursue the mountaintop, but the work's not on the mountaintop. We don't get to build a spiritual abode there. We have to come back down into the mess where real people have real problems that often aren't pretty, but that's where God wants us. We see on the mountaintop, but we change the world in the valley. We don't want to fight when there's needs in front of us. We want to focus on the needs. We want to be aware of the fact that our own generational mindset can limit what God does through us. And sometimes we need deliverance not just from our doubt, but from the mindset of doubt that is within a whole generation. And we see a man sincere saying, I believe, help my unbelief. And we say, there go I. I want the same help, Lord. Help me, Lord Jesus, to be a man of faith, a woman of faith. And so we see, why could we not cast it out? Prayer and fasting. We don't need to change God. We don't need to change the devil. We need to change ourselves. Prayer and fasting. And finally, we see the importance of faith in God, the power of prayer to produce a greater breakthrough through our hands and feet and the role of fasting in the preparation of our life, our hearts, our mission, our words, our gifts. Prayer and fasting prepares us to be used of God. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, we are here tonight to learn of your way And we're going to the gospel of of Mark to learn and to see. And Lord, just as as I pray every time I study going into this, Lord, we we all of us listen together and we, we consider together and we want to see. Lord, let us learn. Let us grow. Let us be changed by the word of God. Let us as a church have the, has the kind of faith that actually is a practical faith that influences and impacts the generation in which you have placed us. God, spare us from the errors of this age. God, teach us a willingness to embrace prayer and fasting as personal change, a personal change agent whereby we become more like you. Lord God, we want what you would have us to have. We want the blessing that is in your will for us to receive. We don't want anything outside your will. We know your will is best. I pray you would be with your children. I pray you would walk with us, God. I pray you would 
show us the path that is given to us to walk and, and, and give us the confidence to believe that we are the, the ones who you have sent in this time, in this hour. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Would you praise the Lord one more time before we're dismissed? Lord Jesus, we glorify you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. In your prayer time, add this little element to your prayer. Lord, if I am your tool, then help me not be a tool that limits you. If you need to polish me, please do. (laughs) If you need to sharpen me, please do. If I'm your tool, would you prepare me for the work that you would do with me and through me? In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming out on a cold, cold Wednesday night. It's 8.33, so I'm your favorite preacher. God bless you. We love you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.